Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Corne finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Ajax delivery. Gendouzi's header. And the finish of the near post from Lucas Paqueta. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Fire again. A goal Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Hello and welcome along to Le Beaujeu as Paris Saint-Germain moved to the brink of the league title by beating Marseille at the Parc des Princes. Monaco throw the race for Europe wide open by winning away to Rennes. Nice are back in business. Lyon hit hapless Bordeaux for six. And Lens claim bragging rights in the Derby du Nord. As well as discussing all the Round 32 action, we'll answer your questions, give away a Dimitri Payet Marseille shirt and we have a Lucas Paqueta Lyon shirt up for grabs. We are the official Ligue 1 Uber East podcast. Please do subscribe to Le Bourget on whatever podcast platform you use. Get in touch with us on Twitter at Ligue 1 Podcast or via email league1podcast at gmail.com. We had uh, a huge number of very kind messages during the week. So thank you to everybody, our listeners. Um, thank you to Claire Turner, who uh, told us that she loves the pod. And she wants to know our verdict on nonce season and what the future holds for them. Well, Claire, we'll, we'll have to address that at some point. Probably not this week, though. It's a big question. Damo Clark, thank you for getting in touch. Nathan Kellaway, Jared Ferran, Rob Jones and Frederick Otart. All very kind messages. We appreciate that. Um, with me on the pod this morning, I've got Robbie Thompson in Australia. How are you, Robbie? G'day, mate. I'm well, Matt. Good. Well down under and uh, was up very, very early. The game, since the time change, Sunday night kickoff now is 4.45 in the morning here. And I was up Ooh. with a big cup of coffee to watch Le Classique. But only because it was Marseille or would the, you have been up for Angers PSG? Uh, you probably, maybe. If PSG hadn't been involved, I'm not so sure. <laughs> my, actually, my, my brother lives in Australia. What you do, obviously, you, you, you record it, don't you? You get up at six or you get up at seven and don't look at Twitter. Yeah, or, I could, anyway, I could just watch a, the replay, but it's not the same. <laughs> not the same. Andreas Evagora is uh, with us. He's on European time. How are you, Andreas? I'm all good. And I, actually, I was eating some Tim Tams a couple of weeks back because my sister lives in Australia. Yeah. She always brings some Tim Tams over. Lovely delicacies. Yeah, very good. For the for, for non Aussie, explain. Listeners. Yeah, go on. Yeah, Tim Tam is a triple chocolate biscuit, very famous, um, and and quite dangerous if you overload because they're very addictive. <laughs> yeah, as well. <laughs> and there's a very I didn't very know that. there's a great way of eating them, Andreas, by by biting off diagonal corners and putting it in coffee and sucking the chocolate cream up through the biscuit. And then getting the whole thing into your mouth soaked in coffee before it disintegrates. That's what you need to do before the pod. Get some extra short-term yeah. energy. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'll try that next time. Okay, lads, let's save this for another pod because actually there is quite a lot to talk about. There's quite a lot that happened this weekend. And uh, Robbie's chirpy mood, I'm sure, is, is related to what happened at the Parc des Princes. I was, uh, I was there to commentate. Let's, uh, let's have a listen Paris Saint-Germain first against Marseille second. It's the first time these two have been in the top two since 1989 when they, when they have uh, gone head-to-head. That's an incredible stat. Um, so here we go. Here's what happened. Ferrati's pass. Oh, the run from Neymar who has hooked it past the goalkeeper. And Paris Saint-Germain have scored from their first chance. 
exquisite ball over the top from Verratti. Neymar spotted the goalkeeper, I think, coming off his line. And he very, very coolly did exactly what was required. Another Payet corner. Donnarumma's come again. And surely Marseille will score. They have done. Well, PSG just could not get the ball clear. And Duya Chiletasar has prodded the ball home from all of half a yard out. Marseille level at the Parc des Princes. Space for Neymar. He's inside the box here, Neymar. He's looking to get a shot on goal. Strong appeals for handball. The crowd are absolutely screaming at the referee. Is the referee going to have a look at the penalty decision? He's pointing to his ear, and Ronger's got his arm up there. Now, Francois Letizia is going to point to the penalty spot. And on the stroke of half-time, Paris Saint-Germain's pressure has earned them a penalty. Mbappe against Lopez then. And Kylian Mbappe smashes the ball into the back of the net to send the Parc des Princes into celebration before half-time. Paris Saint-Germain back in front here. Yes, final score. Paris Saint-Germain 2, Marseille 1. Lots to talk about. Disallowed goals, penalties. I just want to say well done um, to at Cameruno2 on Twitter. Because our Twitter account had a little prediction thing going and he was very much the closest uh, to getting it right. Uh, Cameruno2 said... Uh, 2-1 to Paris Saint-Germain. He went for the goal scorers, um, Neymar and Mbappe. He got right. He went for Payet for Marseille. It very nearly was Payet. That uh, goal that Chiletta Saar scored was uh, from Payet's corner. Um, what do we think, guys? It was all in all a slightly disappointing affair. I've got a couple of um, things to get um, off my back. I-, I-, I was annoyed by the way the players... Both PSG and Marseille carried themselves in terms of uh, uh, arguing with every single refereeing decision. So much petulance. The second half, there were so many fouls. It was it was difficult um, to have a proper football match. I'll have my proper coup de girl uh, in, in in a moment. But uh, but Robbie, I thought it was interesting. Verratti at halftime said it's not about playing well this game. It's about winning. That's all that matters. And uh, Marquinhos repeated that at the final whistle. PSG just wanted to do whatever was necessary to win that game, and they did it. Yeah, I think, um, well, they're two players that have played more classiques than anybody else in the PSG squad, probably anyone else on the field yesterday, more than Payet, probably. Um, I think it was the 19th for Verratti, and I think it's 18 for Marquinhos, and Marquinhos has never lost one. So for him, it's... Uh, it's all about getting the result. I think that's fair enough. I think we, we, you know, we had this discussion about entertainment a couple of weeks ago. Um, classics are big rivalry matches. They're there to be, to be won. We always used to say cup finals always used to be dour, terrible matches of football where the only thing that counted was winning. I think uh, when you have two sides that really don't like each other and that there's a lot at stake and it's first against second... I think getting the result is fair enough. Look, we've been spoiled. I think it's we can have the same old discussions again and again about how PSG go into a game and what we deserve and what we expect from PSG and what we should get and 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 whether we should hide them to hold them to a a higher level of others. At the end of the day, 
You go into a match like that, Marseille have won eight in a row, PSG, their season is, is slowly unraveling, the supporters aren't there in the, in the stands, everything's, you know, they've won their last two handsomely, but they've been eliminated prematurely from Europe, they've lost games against rivals of like Marseille in terms of Monaco, Rennes recently, Nice, so... You know, I think it's understandable that they wanted just to win this. But I think more than that, the subtext was we just want to finish this season. We just want to get this title won and go again next year. Um, Andreas, PSG are now 15 points clear with, uh, with six games to go. If you look at the performance as a whole, Marseille had a lot more of the ball, 58% of the possession. I think Marseille only had one shot on target and that was their goal. They were hardly uh, peppering Don- Donnarumma's goal. Um but from, from PSG's perspective, you know, we had this eerie atmosphere. The stadium was full, but the, uh, the ultras um, were not supporting the team, were not encouraging the team. So there was a kind of strange, almost silence during the game, which is unusual for, for a classique. So a night that PSG, you know, should have been sort of celebrating, getting the win that takes them virtually to the title. It wasn't, it wasn't a sort of celebration, was it? No, I, I, I go along with that. I mean, first, just to... to um echo what Robbie was saying. I mean, the last time these two teams met at the Parc de Prince, remember there were three players sent off. Uh, this year, Hakimi was sent off. So, that you know, there's a bit of bad blood between the teams. But but going on, talking about the ambience, I mean, it, it was just very poor. I mean, you could really hear Jorge Sampaoli, the, the Marseille coach, more than the fans a lot of the time. Uh, you could hear the players shouting. And this is something that really has to be addressed. I mean, look, I'm, I'm of a certain age. The first time I went to a classic was 1999. Uh, do you remember when Simone and I think it was Rodriguez scored two late goals? And I, I, the atmosphere was absolutely amazing. I remember going home and the hours after the match, my ears were still ringing with the noise, which is why I get a bit annoyed with people saying, you know, PSG is this sort of new club or plastic club. That, that's not at all the case. It's changed, but it's, it, you know, there was a great club there before as well. And what I'm getting at is that, you know, we fans are a very important stakeholders, to use that horrible word, of a club. Um, you know, it's not just about money and sponsors and players. The fans, with, without the fans, you know, there's nothing. It's a cliche, but it's true. And, and all of French football really has to address this because I don't think we mentioned that there were no Marseille fans there at all because of crowd problems in the past, which is something that happens quite a lot in French football, doesn't it? They just ban away fans, which I, I'm not sure if that's the best way to to address this problem either so no it, it wasn't a great atmosphere uh, it's something that has to be addressed i mean very quickly the what one of the main psg fan groups is not happy uh kind of went on a sort of strike and you know, they're, they're the fans that tend to make most of the noise uh, and after the game you, you i think you heard it the interview with marquinhos matt where you know marquinhos was really quite candid in saying look we understand the fans could be happier but we need more support and, that, and that, that's the message from the players. He said it wasn't the night. It wasn't the night to boycott exactly. supporting the team. It's a classic and that, and that should go out the window. But I take what you're saying with regards to the PSG fans' decision not to create an atmosphere. But I mean, do you remember the game at the Velodrome earlier this season? Yeah, it was amazing. Um, yeah. The atmosphere was absolutely yeah. incredible. Sadly, there weren't PSG fans there. And, you know, the atmosphere has been has been pretty good. I mean, the problem as much as anything in this fixture in the last 10 years has, has been that PSG have dominated too much. And we are seeing Marseille more more competitive now. They were competitive on Sunday night and they got a nil-nil draw um, earlier this season. Let's, um, I was going to say, just, let's get this out, quickly, out of the way. I, Go on I, then, Rob. Yeah. If I can, just quickly. Um, 
blast from the past. Bruno Bruno Rodriguez, who who Andreas just mentioned, actually had his one of his legs amputated about two months ago, um, just from from serious suffering. He'd only be fifty years old, a bit a bit mm. a bit like us. He was a player at that time, a good player. He had a brief. Um, inconclusive loan spell in England, I think, with Bradford or something back in back in the day. But he was a very good player, um, scored the winner in a in a classic, and uh, sadly uh, had lost a leg so recently. So yeah, there you go. Just a late update. News. Yeah, um, there were there were contentious issues on Sunday night. PSG, you know, VAR was very involved. PSG had two goals chalked off um, for. Close VAR offside calls. Um, Marseille thought they'd equalise. I think it was the 84th, 85th minute. William Saliba converted Dimitri Payet's free kick and um, wild celebrations on the pitch. And he was uh, he was a whisker offside. His shoulder was uh, was was gold side or his upper body. Um, the decision we will discuss. I mean, you know, in theory. The offside is black and white. There's no grey area. The VAR sees it. The VAR decides, and you can you can discuss. We can debate whether that's right or wrong, whether it detracts from the excitement. Um, but that they are the rules. The handball rule is still very much open to the referee's interpretation. There is still a lot of grey area. And Robbie and I and Andreas. We've been on the WhatsApp through the early hours of, of the morning discussing Valentin Ranger's handball. Um, uh, Neymar was on the edge of the box, tried to clip a pass through. It hits uh, Ranger. Ranger's arm is is up and uh, slightly to the to to the side. It hits him on the elbow. The referee seems to be well placed, doesn't give a penalty, um, and is then asked to have a look by the VAR, who say, "Look, we think there may be an obvious error here." Francois Letexier goes across, he looks at it, he sees the replays that he has shown, not all the replays, and he gives a penalty. Now, Robbie is keen to stress that since the rule changes, um, it, uh, it, it's, oh gosh, where are we going to start with this? No, the I'll, key I'll to the rule changes, in, if, if, no, 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 <laughs> if Valentin Rangier is making his body unnaturally bigger, so in, unnaturally in terms of the movement he's making to try to block the shot, and I think it can be argued that he should not have his arms up high to the side like that if he's trying to block a shot. The defenders know um, that that they are playing a very, very dangerous game. Um, I was reading Syed Njimi's interpretation of former referee in, in L'Equipe. He says that because Neymar was so close to him, um, you cannot give a handball because there's got he's got no way of adjusting his, his arm or, or getting out of the way, even if he wants to. Now we've been we've been studying Robbie's making faces. We've been studying the law changes, and what is interesting, I get the whole unnatural thing, and I, th- I think it's right. I think you have to. Andreas was saying this last week. You know, if a defender is sliding or whatever, he has to have his arms somewhere. They can't be stuck to to his body. So the interpretation has to be allowed for whether that is you know part of of, of the natural movement. Where I'm struggling to get confirmation because it is it's vague, and they leave this vague is as to whether. The ball seems to hit part of Ranger's body, his thigh, before it hits his arm. Now, the referee, when he looked at VAR, was not shown the angle that shows this. And I'm struggling to get it in black and white in the text as to whether this... Because, by the way, Pablo Longoria, the Marseille president, is saying it's a, it's a, it's a wrong decision. It's a disgrace because it's hit Ranger on the thigh before it's hit his arm. Um, 
Robbie Thompson. I'll give you 30 seconds to come back. Okay, I'll go, I'll go first. Um, there is no longer deflection onto arm in the text. It's all about natural or unnatural position. So well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Because Robbie, no, hang on. I'm going to interrupt because the text that you <laughs> sent me is the update of the law, which talks about the unnatural um, position. It doesn't have the full text of the handball rule. And in the research I've done this morning, all I can find is that it remains vague in terms of hitting another part of the body. So I, I don't know what that means. So, well, okay. For me, for mine, looking at it, the VAR has worked basically perfectly here. Even if it's always harsh on a on a player like Rangier, who's probably not trying to block a shot and make himself bigger. His arm is in the wrong position. It's up here like this. Uh, basically perpendicular to his shoulder. The ball hits the elbow, so it didn't hit nearly the shoulder or nearly his head or anything close to his body. It hit a good 30 centimetres away from his body on his arm, and it was a clear and obvious mistake from the referee, who clearly did not see it the way he should have interpreted it, because that's why he went and saw it and changed his decision, and that's what VAR is there what do you, for. What do, you mean he did, what do you mean he didn't see it the way he should have interpreted it? If he's made a clear and obvious mistake, that's what the VAR is there for. If he hadn't made a clear and obvious mistake, they would have just allowed play to continue. They stopped play, asked him to go and have a look at it. He went and had a look at it and said, oops, that's a clear and obvious mistake on my behalf, clearly, because he then overturned his initial decision and awarded a penalty. But the the, the power that I feel VAR have... That maybe they shouldn't have is 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 that they decide what angle you know and with replays and for me to be honest and I said this in the commentary for me it was a penalty Robbie so you know yeah. I'm not I'm not but I'm not Matt saying you it also did a I, report I, recently on the VAR and how it works with Stephanie Frapper and you know that there is a discussion no, and that the problem, VAR is not yeah. pushing a decision on the no referee. but the 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 issue I have is that the VAR decides what angle and what replay they want to show. They've got all the ammunition, if you like, and for me, that that you know, they can sort of dictate the decision that that way. Um, but yeah, but what are you, you know, suggesting? For, for, for that me, the, it was the, a penalty. This is a conspiracy, but, then. No, I'm not. I'm 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 suggesting that power is taken away from the referee because he doesn't have all the cards in his hand. He doesn't have all the information that he needs. And um, but they're working together. Like I said, they're trying to get their one referee working with various elements, working together. It's not the VAR working against the central referee. Like I said on the commentary, <laughs> I thought it was a penalty, but I did not see, and I still have not seen, this hitting the Rangier's thigh. And Robbie, you say that that has no relevance. It's no and, longer relevant. And and okay. Well, look, may, maybe we're arguing saying that the rules are wrong rather than the application. My, my first exactly. beef is that. It's not video. It's that word assisted. It's not assisted. It's video enforced refereeing. To say that Letessier didn't see that, of course he saw it. He did that sign. You know, we saw a close up because the PSG players were claiming he said, absolutely, it's not a referee. He was five meters away. Play carried on. So it's not video assisted. It's enforced. There are four guys who have all the, the, the bells and whistles uh, on, on, on an EVS machine, which is a a machine which allows you to go back to uh, uh, live slow motions. Um, there's four of those people, and I'm just getting the impression that it's a little bit like, you know, giving an eight-year-old kid a, a, a new toy at Christmas, and he's like looking, oh, how can we use this? What's inside the box? And they are pushing it a little bit too much. It's a penalty, right? Let's look at the words. What is Rangier being penalized for? To, to me, it's not an unnatural position. 
to have your arms up. I mean, I remember there was a, a, a Scottish well, defender in the 80s. one arm is down by his side. Do you remember the Doug Rugby? Ch- Chelsea fans remember Doug Rugby, who I remember. I just remember him because he used to have this position. He used to put his arms right behind his back. His wrists were touching each other. He had like... It was like something out of a Monty Python, you know, film. It was it was ridiculous because it was just like I don't want the ball to touch my hand. Is this what we're getting to? I mean, come on! It, 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 I, to me, it wasn't unnatural. We can we can argue all day about what is unnatural or not. To me, having your hands behind your back is unnatural. I, I, I think it was a bit. I just. I think it was like it was the context because the- we had so many decisions. It was stop start. Uh, the other issue is, you know, the, yeah, the, yeah. the rule now when there's an offside and they carry on until there's an advantage. I mean, that 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 does get my goat as well. It was just stop start, and the game was already very niggly, so it didn't help. So the context- I thought, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I I thought, Rob, you talk about that report we did on Stephanie Frappard, and I, I interviewed Pascal Garibion, who's the head of the French referees, and I I, I think not just because I spoke to Pascal Garibion, but I think in general France Ligue 1's done really well with with VAR, and what Garibion was saying to me was that. Um, the opposite of what Andreas said, which is it's very much an, 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 an assistant. You know, it's, it's there to help the referees and that never, ever, ever should the VAR intervene before the referees made his decision. The referee always makes his decision. And then if they think there's a clear and obvious error, and to be fair, Andreas, you say it's enforced. I mean, yes, they've told him he needs to look at it. They haven't told him he needs to reverse his decision. So it's, it's an assistance. It's saying, listen, come and have a look at this. And tell us if you think you've made a clear and obvious error. And he has decided he has. No, I, I agree. My, I agree. Yeah, Liga, one... Liga has been very good compared to the Premier League. But look, just look at the number of times that when when a referee goes to his monitor, he almost always changes his decision. Because what, what's going on and in listen, his mind? He's thinking there's four guys with four yeah, videos no, and right. replays in front of me. What do I know? So I, I, maybe it's yeah, a bit old school, yeah, but I, and... I would still would like the guy on the pitch to have the final word. Which I think we're moving away from that. But it was it was a hard game to commentate because it was so stop start. And uh, you mentioned three players getting sent off uh, last season. I, I thought we could have had three red yeah. cards, and I thought I thought Neymar should have gone. I thought Verratti was treading on very very thin ice quite a lot. Um, and you know, and, and I'm not picking on PSG because some of the Marseille petulance as well. Genduzzi just constantly on at the referee. It, Payet annoyed me in the 96th minute. Marseille had a corner. And he was all he was worried about was the fact that Kimpembe had taken the corner post out of the ground. Instead of concentrating yeah. on trying to play a good corner, he was saying, I'm refusing to put the post back. And then he got upset. The referee made him put the post back. It was like kids. Do you know what I mean? And, and then he played a bad corner and, and, and PSG cleared it. But Neymar was probably unlucky to get booked for that foul on Gendouzi when Gendouzi rolled about. He went berserk. And he was in the assistance face. And he was, I mean, you, 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 you can't behave like that. But I'm, I'm having my... 10 pence worth here because I'm now going to have my coup de gueule. I know Robbie's probably, yeah, <laughs> you, Robbie and Andreas want to come in, but we are, we have got a lot of league matches. To as talk long about, as you give me 15 seconds, just at the end to talk about the match as well. Go for it. I ca- okay. <laughs> I came away from the Parc des Princes last night, l- disappointed that I didn't get the game I was hoping for. And I think two of the main reasons were the, the behavior of the players in terms of their petulance towards the officials. Um, but also Jorge Sampaoli's tactics. I was tearing my hair out. I was surprised initially to see him lining up without a without a forward. We thought Bakumbu would start. He decided to play Pap Gay as as an extra midfielder. So he started the game with seven midfield players. Admittedly, Rangier playing as a as a right back. Um, he made a change at half time where he brought another midfield player on, Amin Arit for uh, for Genghis Unda. Um, and I understand why he wants to do it. He wants to do it 
We see Pep Guardiola do this, flooding the midfield, wanting to have some control of the ball, wanting to have possession. He was asked, of course, about it after the game. He said it would have been suicidal to play any other way. I disagree that it would have been suicidal. I think Marseille have the technical quality to be able to at least have a lot of the ball um, with one midfielder less and that they need to play with a striker. And what infuriated me was the longer the game was going on in the second half, Marseille were 2-1 down and he didn't change it. He made that change at halftime. Then he put Paul Lirola on with like 20 minutes to go. And, you know, I was watching it high up in the Parc des Princes and you just see this empty mass of space, sort of 20 yards around Marquinhos and Kimpembe. And every time Marseille attack, you're like, what what are they going to do when they raid forward? Well, they're going to come back and they're going to keep possession. And they had these long spells of sterile possession. Um, and then, yeah, so he put Bomba Dieng on with, I think, 10 or 15 to go, 10 minutes, 10 minutes to go. I mean, it's very late. And then in the 93rd minute, he put back Ombu on. Possession, no, it, I mean, it's a good point. Take a, take a risk. Marseille, I think, had more possession, which is very rare for PSG to, to have, yeah. you know, not to have most of possession at the Parc de Prince. If you play that way, you've really got to, you got to fill those spaces with very quick players and and have it, you know, play like that a lot. And and I, I agree, it, it was it was negative. Uh, I, I never saw how they were really going to hurt PSG. I mean, the one time they changed a bit was about half an hour. They suddenly seemed to come out of their shell a bit, and they did score from that corner. But I agree. I mean, it, it was it was very hard to see Marseille scoring. I mean, Saliba got that goal that was that was disallowed. But I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, Marseille were. We're never really going to threaten PSG too much. Okay, and just before we bring Robbie back in, um, <laughs> I'm going to bring in my good friend Arcadius Millet because Robbie, Robbie thinks I talk too much about him, but he was he was very much um, present through his absence at the Parc des Princes uh, last night. He, he people were hoping Marseille were hoping he'd be fit. He hasn't quite recovered from that hamstring problem, so he wasn't there, and that's the main reason that Marseille played without a striker. I think Millet would have would have started had he had he been fit. But when I, I had a really good long chat with Milik a, a few weeks back uh, and I asked him, a little bit provocative, I asked him whether the, the, the role of the number nine um, is no longer essential in, 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 in top-level football. Let's hear what he had to say about the fact that Marseille do play quite often without, without a centre-forward. We're seeing sometimes at Marseille, like you said, away from home, they've played with a false nine or with, with, with Payet. We've seen other teams play without a, a striker. Manchester City have done it. Um, is there still very much this key role for a, a number nine at the top level in Europe? Yeah, I think there is um, maybe one team playing without a striker in the world, Manchester City. Yeah. And uh, sometimes Marseille. <laughs> I, I, I don't see other teams playing without a striker. If you spend one billion on a transfer, I think you can do it. It's hard for me sometimes to don't play. I always want to play, but of course sometimes if you play every game, sometimes it's a moment that it's good to, to have a rest. But if you are not playing constantly, I'm, I'm a little bit angry that I'm not playing. Of course, I, I respect the decision from coach and there are, those are his decisions and I have to take it on my chest, but, but sometimes, yeah, I am angry. So, Robbie, um, Arkadius Milik with some interesting stuff there. Quite amusing, I thought, him saying that you can only play without a number nine um, if you spend one billion euros signing signing players as Manchester City have done. And to be fair to Sam Pauli, it's worked. And Milik said that. Look, I understand why during a, a time he played with Payet as a number nine because away from home it, 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 it was getting results. But 
it's PS, not PSG sustainable. Spent is one it? billion on on ten number nines, and often played with three up front, and it, and it, and it's, <laughs> it still hasn't brought the Champions League. <laughs> um, I, th- I think it's a fair call what he's saying about about. I mean, it's we sh- we're not going to start talking about about Manchester City or other things, but a coach has to make these tactical decisions. He has to decide on personnel. He has to decide the way he wants to play or she. And 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 they have to they have to own it. I've no problem with with these, you know, that it's strange that Marseille play without a number nine. I don't think Manchester City are the only team that don't play without a a number nine. It's not easy to play without a number nine, but but I think lots of clubs have been playing without a, a recognised striker, and certainly not an old school number nine. And I think Milik is. Not not exactly just an old school number nine. He's not your your David Trezeguet or your Iguain types who really were just number nines. But you know he's he's a finisher. He's he's not a Mauro Icardi, but he's a he's a finisher who can who can come deep, pick the ball up, makes runs in behind. He's not going to dribble people. He's not going to take them on. I think I think we see a lot of teams playing now with number nines that are that are not old old school. Uh, you know that's it's the way they play. Bielsa set had this whole system. He, Sam Pauli's a Bielsa disciple. They 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 modernized football, whereby possession and confusion of your opponent was the was, was the thing you needed more than anything else. And and that's they live by that sword. They'll die by that sword. I don't I don't have a problem with it, which is half my problem with this Milik thing. If Milik was scoring a million goals. And I know he scored twenty plus this season, and he's had a good season. But you'd you'd force your way into the side, or you'd force Sam Pauli to rethink things. Or well, he has done. He has done. Or you? Well, then he has done. He's got he's got twenty seven goals in forty three games for Marseille. He's got twenty this season, having started the season in October. I mean, he's you know he's, yeah, he's so okay. He's, so he's done well. He's scored. Yeah, he's done well. But um, <laughs> no, but anyway, yeah. I mean, I I think it is interesting. But it's this desire the coaches have to. To control as much as they can, um, and maybe maybe that's understandable. San Paolo and Guardiola, both Bielsa disciples, and yeah, that that that's part of the part of the philosophy. I want to talk about coaches, Andreas, because we got a question from Davorti, um, our good friend in Australia, our other good friend in Australia. <laughs> um, he wants to pick our brains on Pochettino at PSG. What's going to happen this summer? Ten Hag, it seems, is going to uh, to Manchester United. So that's no longer on the table for, for, for Poch. A lot of talk about Zinedine Zidane, but is he not just waiting until the World Cup to replace uh, Didier Deschamps as France manager? Where do you see Poch um, in, in six months, Andreas? Well, I, I don't see Zinedine Zidane ever coming to Paris. He's a Marseille boy. I'm going to say through and through, never played for Marseille, but you understand what I mean? He's from that part of the world. I, I don't see him... I think he would be an excellent choice because he's the kind of guy that can manage these big stars at PSG. I don't think it, uh, Zidane is coming to PSG. I also don't think Pochettino will be there next year. I mean, again, look at his body language last night. But I mean, he, did he get off his bench once? I mean, I, I didn't see it. Uh, I mean, I, I was commentating the match for another, for, he look, for another he, channel. He looks depressed. He looks, yeah. he looks That's a very disconnected good way it. and depressed. Um, it is has been about the Champions League this year. Uh, I just don't get the feeling, and it's no more than that, I, I don't get the feeling that he'll be there next year, whatever happens between now 
uh, and the end of the season. But there aren't that many like big name coaches available who you would think will come to PSG. So it's a, it's a very good question. I'm not sure I have an answer about who will be there, but I don't think it'll be Pochettino, and I don't think it'll be Zidane. I think those two you can you can put a, put a cross through. Robbie, okay. What, what do you reckon? <laughs> um, well, I never say never, but I agree with Andreas insofar as like surely Pochettino, after everything that's been said and done, after his last two summers at PSG, because he has had two or only one one summer. Um, one summer that uh, he spent the whole time silent while there were a million rumours that he was going to Tottenham already and also Manchester United then already. And everyone was saying, but Pochettino's only been at Paris for six months. Surely this isn't the case. Nothing. And I heard from very good sources from even before then was essentially as soon as he'd got the job in Paris that he he was on in the little notebooks of several big clubs who were also looking to get him out of Paris as soon as possible if we can if we can put it that way that was only fueled those rumors were only fueled by that summer where he was completely invisible uh, over the over the six week holiday, while all these rumours were going around that he was leaving, and then since then he's done nothing to, I don't think enough to suggest that he was going to stay long term. I think he's still living in a hotel in Paris. Um, you know, he's done nothing to suggest that this is where his his future lies, or that really, apart from just some churning out the, you know, I used to play for this club, I was captain here, I'm very happy, I'm very happy. He said nothing really profound about a link that that links him to the club. Coaches don't have to either. I'm not naive. I'm not going to start spinning romantic stuff about that to you all. But I think, yeah, I think I think it's, you know, ultimately a very worrying reflection on, 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 on PSG. You know, when you're watching the Champions League semi-finals and you're watching... Uh, you're watching Tuchel and uh, you're watching Emery and Ancelotti. And I, I know Tuchel hasn't hasn't made it through this time, but he did win the competition. You know, clearly these are top top managers. And Pochettino took PSG is to still, the final as well. Is still very much regarded as a top top manager. Yeah, but you know what what we were hearing, what you know, was that after a few months he was unhappy at PSG because of the way. Um, the club was being run and that he didn't have the scope that he wanted mm. to to be able to manage the players and, and and manage the team. And that's really worrying. I do think this summer is is huge for Paris Saint-Germain. There was an article in L'Equipe yesterday I thought was interesting uh, talking about Pochettino having a very close relationship with Mbappe. And that, you know, Mbappe is... The, the summer is all about Mbappe, isn't it? And, I mean, maybe we'll have a decision before and it'll be about replacing Mbappe. But either way, you know... It is a lot about him and PSG are going to have to either build a team around him or build a new team. There's for, there's no doubt, Matt, I think that this PSG job is becoming something of a, a poison chalice for coaches. It's it's a dream job, but at the moment the, there's there's so much around the environment and so much pressure on this team to, to only win the Champions League, that it becomes very difficult for a, for a coach. And I know lots of coaches have big egos. I think you need a monumental ego. I think you need runs on the board. I think you almost need to have a, 
a fabulous ex-playing career. And I mean, above, I know Pochettino captained Argentina at a World Cup. He was not a bad player by any stretch of the imagination, but he wasn't a Zidane type, you know, I think you need to coach, to coach a team like this, you either have to be an Ancelotti, an elder statesman of the, of the game, uh, uh, a Sir Alex Ferguson or someone with, you know, with, with massive aura, or Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger's available. Yeah, and Arsene Wenger in some form or another, because um, he's not <laughs> going to do the coaching out on the pitch. No. So, so you need to have a, a good team uh, around him. Um, I agree, but it's, Robbie, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a really difficult job. Yeah, the, the contradiction there is, yeah, you need this big character who's done everything, who knows the game. But the, the one interview that I thought was interesting with Pochettino was a few months ago, which we all saw, I think, was when he was just saying, no one's going to come here and, and change the direction of this ship. You know, when you come here, you have to just adapt. It's, it's a big machine going in a certain direction. And, you know, it was sort of quite, how can I put it? It was like sort of downbeat interview. Do you remember that one where he was saying, look, I'm not going to change too much. Yeah, yeah. I'll do the best that mm. I can with, a, with these great players. It's a big, it, it, yeah, it's a big admission, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, I coaches don't normally say that. It's, it's saying, okay, well, I'm not, not that I'm not that important, but it's like it's the old analogy that Olas made at Lyon. You're an F1 driver and you come in and you drive, but you're part of this big team um, with just that specific role. So it's, I agree. But it's do you a think really that's different role. to Real Madrid? Do you think that's different to Real Madrid or Barcelona or Manchester United? And I mean, we're talking about these elite football clubs, these institutions, and I, I put PSG in that and perhaps soon Manchester City as well, given what Guardiola has, has instilled there. I, but I, I think, think Guardiola yeah. was able to come in and change something there. I think, I think everyone's struggled since Ferguson's left Manchester United. Yeah, I think the difference is in England, there's the tradition of coaches running everything, you know, transfers and wages and, you know... If, if you read Brian Clough, he was, you know, basically the, the, almost the groundsman, you know, for a team that was winning the European Cup. So in England, the tradition is, and it's changing, obviously, that the, the, the coach's remit, the manager's remit is very broad. Uh, but yeah, Real Madrid is another one as well. H how long do you last as a coach at Real Madrid? Not many seasons either. Interesting stuff. Very one, interesting. Just very quickly before uh, you I, move I can, it on. Yeah, yeah can, no, because I can hear our <laughs> listeners saying it's not the PSG pod, but yeah, go, Rob. Zidane. I don't, so just to talk about Zidane and the France job, I don't see him taking the France job, to, to be perfectly honest. He's, I, I don't see him taking over from Deschamps and the, what comes with that. He's been a club coach. He's a football man through and through. I think he's a club man given the right environment. He might struggle to find an environment as perfect for him as Real Madrid was um, with his past and his links to 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 that club. Um, perhaps Juventus would be one where that could work for him as well. But I don't see him coming into the France setup and trying to take France to a World Cup the way the way Deschamps has. That's just my personal opinion. Okay. I, I <laughs> think I I think he would relish it, but I don't know. I don't know. You might yeah, you might be right. Let's um let's bring in some commentary. Let's talk about another game because there were some big matches. Friday night, uh Ren against Monaco. Um, Ren going great guns, but Monaco showing signs that they might be um, on the up again under under Philippe Clement. Let's hear what happened at Rosen Park. Armel Tangi is your commentator. Trial Ray, Laborde, Trial Ray's cross. Oh, the early header has found the back of the net. It's Flaviate. 
first blood red. Monaco haven't uh, been able to do too much with the ball yet. 42% of possession only. But that's a lovely ball towards Vanderson, who strikes first time and is one all. Oh, a brilliant finish from Vanderson. Folland onto Wissam Ben Yedda. Is it league goal number 19? It is. Of course it is. Wissam Ben Yedda doesn't miss from there. And Monaco have taken the lead here in Brittany. And a moment's lapse in concentration from Stad Rene as they reshuffled the pack. Adrien Truffert coming onto the pitch. It's Omari who just forgets to check behind him. Wissam Ben Yedda was there, of all people. Chouameni. Vanderson to his right, here is Vanderson. Back across to Myron Boadu. And Monaco have got their third goal and perhaps put this game beyond Rennes' reach now. We will play more than the three minutes indicated following this decision. Will they be as exciting as possible? They will. Martin Terrier makes it 3-2 from the spot. His 19th league goal of the season. And a smidgen of hope reappears on the Breton horizon. 91 minutes and 30 seconds of play when that penalty was awarded. A dramatic victory, 3-2 for, uh, for Monaco. And that changes uh, an awful lot. It's obviously a hammer blow for Rennes. Um, who remained third, three points behind Marseille. But uh, they're only three points above Monaco now. Monaco up to sixth. Uh, they're level with Strasbourg. Strasbourg drew 1-1 um, away to Troyes. So Strasbourg and Monaco with 53 points in fifth and sixth. You've got Nice one point above them in fourth. Nice got a big win, 2-1 against Lorient, thanks to Andy Delors' double. Um Nice on 54, and you've got Rennes on, on, on 56. So just three points separating those four teams. Um, and uh, Andreas, a big victory this for, for, for Monaco. Ben Yedder scoring again. Vanderson's been a, a brilliant signing, hasn't he? He's, he's, he's slotted in really well. And Myron Buadu, who's been a, a maligned player this season, um, getting, uh, getting a, a rare goal as well. Yeah, you know when Boadu scoring things are going well for you, and and things are turning for Monaco. That was a big match because because Ren are in very good form as well, and I've I've got a pretty good feeling for Monaco. I, I mean, I went the first time I went down this season was in October for a game against Montpellier, and the ground was kind of empty, and there was yet another strike, and it was kind of low key. And for the first twenty minutes, Monaco played as good a football as I've seen anyone play in league and this year PSG apart. I mean, they were absolutely brilliant. And I remember turning to one of the Monaco, I think it was the security guard, saying, like, well, you know, why aren't you in the top four with this team? And he did the sort of Gallic shrug, and it was like, well, Savavanir, you know, it's, it's going to happen. And, and I think it is, and, and I'm a great believer, and it's not, you know, any great insight that I think over a season, if you look at the quality of your of the sort of the top five players, you're attacking four or five players, is very important. And Monaco have got real quality there. I mean, Ben Yedda, you know, he, he's just a consistent goal scorer. Um, I'm a big fan of Kevin Volland. And Vanderson's goal was just a thing of beauty. Brilliant strike. Um, yeah, the pass from uh, the pass from Golovin. Yeah. Absolutely sensational. And, and when those link up, those players link up, and if they're fit, 
you know, that's a really good front four or five. So I, I think Monaco got a really good chance to, of of finishing top three. And on Wednesday, because there's midweek matches this week, uh, Monaco-Nice, that's, you know, that's not decisive, but a very important game. And, uh, and I'd be quite confident if I was a Monaco fan at the moment. Robbie, do you think do you think it's a case of Monaco um, losing some, some some stability with Nico Kovac's sacking in in January? I think the the thing that kind of derailed their season was going out to Shakhtar in the Champions League uh, qualifier in in August, and then they they dropped a lot of points in the league, and they struggled really to to make that up. I I think they haven't been in the top five this season. They were uh, momentarily this weekend. I think they were up to fourth, but they're 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 sixth at the moment. Um, because the quality, the quality is there. I mean, Andreas mentions those attackers, but we've got these, you know, the youngsters that we love as well, the Chuamenis, Fofanas, uh, Badia Shield, Disasi. You know, they're all they're all quality young players. Yeah, they are. They're quality players. They're a, they're a quality team. I think this was a classic, um, a classic six pointer, wasn't it? It could have gone to nine points. The gap instead, it's it's down to three. Um, Monaco are coming. I, Interesting things about this game. I thought, well, I watched this game. I got up very early again to watch this one <laughs> on on <laughs> Sunday sleep, morning. Here, yeah, it's, it's. I've actually just. I'm coming out of um, uh, isolation, confinement for COVID. I've had a COVID bout for the last week as well. So today, I, uh, I'm well. Tomorrow morning, I'm I'm allowed out. Um, so I've been getting up, you know, feverish and sweats, and deciding to go and get up and watch the French football in the middle of the night. Um, Ren scored very early, and then for most of the match, I felt that Monaco weren't necessarily in control of the of the game, or not dominating it, but they were the better side. They were the better side for essentially 90 minutes. Ren scored very early and very, very late, and in between, it's 3-0 for Monaco. And I think more than a 3-2 thriller by a, against an entertaining gung-ho Ren side, I think this is a... I think this was a, a very good display from Monaco. Whether I'm seeing, uh, you know, a, a Clement side that is better than a Kovac side, I'm still not sure. I think what you say, Matt, about the, the start of the season, I, I used this excuse for, for two years or reasoning for two years with PSG. I think it's still valid for Monaco, therefore, that a difficult pre-season can really temper the start of your campaign and what follows and how players are feeling physically and mentally. And they've paid a price, but I agree with Andreas as well. They have so much quality that that finally that quality is starting to show through. And, I mean, Andreas said it two weeks ago that that there were eight games left and that there was a lot that could still happen. Well, now there's six games left. There's a little less that can still happen, and but Monaco might be one of those things. Yeah, and Monaco have got the momentum ahead of the, the derby against Nice. That's going to be interesting. Rennes are playing Strasbourg. So, I mean, that's a, you know another huge one. Uh, we had uh, an email from Kristaps Sviaboulis who says, uh, another great podcast. Things are getting so interesting in the fight for Europe. As a Monaco fan, I hope they sneak in there, but it's hard to decide which team they should overtake as all teams are equally deserving of a spot. David A wrote in saying, question for the pod. Who out of the top six in the table, besides PSG, are best equipped to play in the Champions League next season? I think that's interesting. Um, I won't go back to Marseille for too long, but I did want to say when we were talking about Pochettino that Marseille are almost in a, not not a stronger position than, than PSG, but they're in an interesting position insofar as Sampaoli does have the, the faith of the fans and Longoria, and they've got these young players that they can maybe build around. They'll probably lose Saliba, but they've got... 
they'll probably lose Camera as well. So, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're going to lose some important players. But they do have a young sort of team to build around. Marseille are looking good for, for Champions League. Robbie, who, who are best equipped? Which two teams, let's say, along with PSG to play in the Champions League next season? Ooh. Because uh, this, is, this is something else I wanted to say in the Marseille chat, so I'll try and say it here. Um, teams now in these last six games of the season, uh, Marseille included, are not playing for the title. They weren't playing to beat necessarily PSG yesterday, Marseille, and when we're having our tactical chat and about how Sampaoli and how he should take risks and why doesn't he... He's playing to hold on to that second place now. And his whole rationale, I know he was playing a classique against PSG at the Parc des Princes, and you want to win that match. But everything he's he's conditioned now is to qualifying Marseille for the Champions League. And no matter who the opponent is, even Paris at the Parc des Princes, I think I think it, it the forefront of his mind now is to qualify for that Champions League place. It's an in- your question now, more specifically to that match between Monaco and Rennes. I had exactly the same thoughts in my mind when watching the game because Rennes are a side that have probably five young kids in that finished that match or around the 85th minute mark when I was watching the game, thinking these are kids out of out of the academy, kids coming on, kid they brought on. Uh, uh, Two young kids that that played in the attack uh, on the on the wing. They have the youngster at the back in the centre of defence. They've got kids everywhere. It's completely different to Monaco. Monaco had no no real youth products in that eleven that played, apart from um, Diop who came on, who who is a, a fantastic player. Badiashid, who was signed, who was signed from Rennes. Oh yes, absolutely. He didn't but he hadn't the played much. But yes, absolutely. No, it's a it's a very good point. So there's an, there's another one. So Badiashil is the only only one that's really a youth product from from that. First time you've said that to me in ages, Robbie. Thanks. I feel good <laughs> that I made a good point. Usually you just disagree. Well, <laughs> the facts are facts. But it's a so now. How do you apply this to which team is better equipped for Champions League football? One that has a whole lot of seasoned internationals and, and Golovins and Ben Yedders and Chuamenis, or one that has a great feel, that has been given incredible license and that is playing with confidence and freedom this year in Rennes. Champions League is a different beast, though. We say that. Um, you know, it would be great to see a, it's hard, isn't a it? Strasbourg or Rennes, yeah. but you know that it's your Monaco's that are going to get, get the job done. Yeah, Monaco have got some pedigree as well, um, history in, in, in the Champions yeah. League. But <laughs> Ren, with their, um, you know, they're on this upward curve and getting in the Champions League will help them to make an extra step, help them to, to reinforce their team. But I sort of agree with you and I almost think that the Europa League maybe is still okay for Ren in terms of, you know, their learning curve. When I saw Thanks, the way man. they were I, eliminated I by... I you ever. <laughs> where, when they were eliminated by Leicester, they outplayed Leicester in both games and yet still managed to... To lose, so I, I, yeah, I'd almost, almost go along with Robbie and say Marseille and, and, and Monaco probably best, uh, best equipped. Andreas, couple of teams to go with. Yeah, PSG. I think I'd go along with that. Although it's two different questions: who is best equipped to qualify and who's best equipped to do well in the Champions League? It's not necessarily the same thing. Um, I mean, Marseille have done well in Europe. Rennes have done well in Europe, haven't they? And mm. and I saw someone the other day saying actually the conference. If you look at the last four of the conference, there's big names in there, arguably bigger than the the Europa League, but. 
Um, yeah, I think yeah, a bit of pedigree and experience. I think I think Marseille, I think Monaco could both do pretty well next year. And of course, once you're in the Champions League, that gives you extra money and it, it gives you that pulling power. So you can change the team quite a lot. If, yeah, if you're and sure we haven't mentioned Champions yeah. League. And we haven't mentioned Nice, who are two points off the top three, and who arguably would invest more, or certainly yeah. potentially would have more more investment to be able to make if they if they get into the Champions League with uh, their their wealthy backers. Um, but yeah, Marseille are in the semi-final of the Europa Conference League. They're going to play Feyenoord. And I was quite surprised to see Robin Van Persie at the Parc des Princes. And I had to have a, have a quick check uh, on Wikipedia to see that he is the assistant coach these days of Feyenoord. So he was... Um, he was uh, having having a look at Marseille. Uh, Lille and Lens probably are just a bit too far off in the race for Europe. Lille had a chance, but they lost the Derby du Nord um, against Lens on Saturday night. Frankowski and Kalimwendo with the goals for Lens. Checker for for Lille. Great victory for Lens, who are who are now uh, above Lille. Lens are seventh. Lille are are ninth. An email we got from the McMahon family, which was which was really nice. Uh, Joseph, John and Benjamin McMahon say it's the highlight of their week listening to the podcast with the family. Um, they love it. And they've always wondered how important is the Coupe de France in France? So that's a, it's a, that's a pretty big question. Nice playing Nantes in the Coupe de France. I would say it's a, it's a big competition. Yeah. And actually, um, the PSG fans, one of their big gripes this season is that PSG, they feel the players didn't take that cup tie seriously enough against Nice. And, and went out, and Nice-Nantes is going to be a, f- a fantastic final. Um, it's probably, yeah, a discussion for nearer the, uh, the final. Let's I do want to talk to about Leon. That is a good one. Yeah, let's, no, it's a good question. And we also had the question about Nantes uh, generally, so I think we should talk about Nantes in, uh, in, uh, in a future pod. Um, Leon went out of Europe. They went out with a whimper on Thursday night. 3-0, they were being at home by West Ham. It was, if I'm being honest with you, a horror show. Um, given the talent they've got, uh, given yeah the 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 squad, we talk about European pedigree. Leon should have done so much better. They they collapsed almost in PSG fashion in Europe. Sorry to bring that up, Robbie. Um, but then they responded. They played against Bordeaux at the weekend, and uh, let's hear a bit of commentary. Um, Leon Bordeaux with Angus Turoad. Feeds it back out once more to Gusto. Nice ball in! Oh, wonderful! A classic Moussa Dembélé header. Nicely brought down in the centre by Mensah. Oh, disaster at the back! Oh, Poussa! What are you doing? And Carl Tokuikombe doubles the lead. Oh, what a moment for Bordeaux. Poussat doesn't quite get there. Leon still have it. Pacata scores for three. And in. Oh, what a strike, Roman Favre. What a start to the half. People still taking their seats all around the stadium. And David Guion's just watched his side go 4-0 down. Well, what a waste of time that half-time team talk was. Only one of Leon's last seven matches in all competitions has ended in a victory. And it's going to end in a victory here, though, because Carl Tokowikombi has made it five. Oh, that's uh, given away. 
And now Leon can break once more. Jeffren Adelaide on the attack feeds it out. Here is Moussa Dembele. It's six. Goals all over the place. Leon still in with a faint hope of going into Europe. Um, so, Andreas, 6 1, the victory for Leon. Um, you can understand Jean Michel Olas coming out and saying, bravo. Everybody said we were dead. We showed them we're Olympique Lyonnais and we're going to fight until the end. We're going to win our last six games. We're going to qualify for Europe. But the horse has bolted, hasn't it, already, Andreas? Yeah, it has. I mean, look, I don't think beating Bordeaux is... I don't think you can take much out of that because Bordeaux was so poor at the moment. I mean, just look at the the highlights of that match. But Bordeaux were very poor. And Leon. Look, I'm a, I'm not a supporter of Leon, but I, I like Leon a, a lot because, you know, they produce a lot of really good players young players uh there's a great atmosphere at, at the stadium when it's going well but look the last it, we forget two years ago they're in the champions league semi-final i mean and the team is weaker than it was then after that match olas was saying that um peter boss is definitely there next year he was he's a bit bristly i don't know if you saw that interview matt he was saying but the journalist who who's, who gave that story he was in the press conference and i said specifically that the boss is staying and you know he always get a bit worried when when um uh, presidents and, and 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 coaches go on about what journalists have said. Uh, no one believes the boss will be there next year. Maybe he will. But the point is, um, the team is getting weaker. Um, it hasn't worked this year. And it's it's also been one of those sort of unlucky seasons. Remember Sonale Diamande, who came on, he got this, what looked like a minor injury, and he's out for like six months. And, you know, when things are going bad for you, it just gets worse and worse. But that West Ham game, look, there's no shame in going out to West Ham, who are a very good team these days. But there is, no, no, but, well, yeah, but, okay. there was but no leadership. Fashion, there, there was no leadership after the first goal. And if they lost one nil, okay. But it was two nil, then three nil, and they were they were really and, poor. And Andreas Leon, they were yeah, really West Ham. Poor. Uh, yeah, that uh, you know what what was interesting. Uh, one comment Peter Boss made. He said uh, West Ham were a team of adults. And it's a sentence that, you know, obviously, of, of course, they were a team of adults, but it's, it's an indirect way of saying my team played like children. And I think there is shame in it. I mean, I, I think West Ham are, are a very strong collective. They're doing well under David Moyes, but Leon are far better. They've got far more talent. And you look at some of these kids, Gusto and Lukeba in particular, absolutely phenomenal players. And they played with, with and, the and half, half the match in the first leg. They played, you know, against 10 men. So, of course, yeah, Leon should have done much better. Yeah. They should have done much better. Yeah, they better. should have. They should have. And, and, and the collective is nowhere near the sum of the individual parts. And that, you know, and that's the problem. That's on Peter Boss. That's on, you know, it's, 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 it's another long discussion we could have. But obviously the appointment of Janino as sport, sporting director was a complete failure. And the club are probably still trying to to recover from that, but you know, and, and they they spent big in terms of wages on Jerome Boateng and Jerdan Shakiri, yeah. two absolute disastrous signings. Um, Look, it's been the work it's to been be done. But, you managed, know that, yeah. that that Leon team should be top two in France, and it should be beating West Ham. It, it, it should be, and if we there talk about big summers, this is uh, Leon aren't going to get into Europe. I, I, I would be amazed if they even get into the Conference League. So it's it's a it's a really a time for Olas to to get his troops together and say, look, where's this club going? He needs to keep some of those young players you talk about. If he, if he can ditch some of the high-paid stars, well, one or two I think have gone already, so much the better. But it's it's a bit of a turning point, isn't it, this summer at Lyon? I've just realised, guys, um, it's been a long pod. I've just realised we haven't done the Deja Who. Um, 
Oh, I knew there was something that was missing. Our listeners are, are, are waiting excitedly to find out who has won the Dimitri Payet shirt. And Robbie tells they, me they've we forgotten had a as record. well. They've forgotten as well, Matt. Forgot- <laughs> <laughs> a record number of correct answers. So if you have got the right answer, um, you've got a chance of winning. But yeah, we had a record number of correct answers. This was last week's clue. A child prodigy. I moved to the French mainland from my hometown club at the age of 11. It marked the start of a footballing journey that spanned eight countries in four continents over nearly 20 years. I famously wore red in England, red and white in Spain, green in France and Portugal, and orange in Scotland. And I won the UEFA Champions League, although I watched the memorable final from the stands, not picked in the matchday squad. I ended my career back where it all began with my hometown club, the third French senior club of my career. I am uh, one of five players from my region to have played for the French national team. Um, Florent Cinema Pongol is the correct answer. Um, we got a lot of uh, a lot of correct answers. Well done to various people who haven't won, unfortunately. Miriam and Mika, uh, thank you for your very kind email. Well done for for getting it right. Jeremy Jeremy McGann got it correct as well. Um, he he appreciated the fact that Dimitri Payet was the uh, the shirt also from La Réunion, Payet and uh, Cinema Pongo. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm correct, aren't I? Yeah. Chris and Carpenter as well. Guillaume Waro as well. Yeah. Any others? Any others? There's Laurent Robert, played for France. Yep. Who else played for France? There were five of them. One more, we got, them? got all of them? We've got four of them, I think. Um, the winner, because the, the oh, suspense is it. probably killing our <laughs> listeners. The winner. Yeah, well, you look it up while I announce the winner. <laughs> Miko Honkanyemi. Congratulations, Mika. A lifelong OM fan based in Berlin in Germany. You have won a Dimitri Payet Marseille shirt. Congratulations to you. And as Robbie uh, looks up the other Réunion player to have played for France, I will bring you this week's Deja Who. Up for grabs, a Lucas Paqueta Olympique Lyonnais jersey. Just answer this simple question. Email us, league1podcast at gmail.com. Here we go. An elegant central defender stroke defensive midfielder, I enjoyed much success in my homeland before moving to France, my first overseas experience at the age of 24. I played more matches with my one and only French club than I did at any club in my career, winning the Coupe de la Ligue and three Ligue 1 crowns. I was one of the key players that helped take my club to an unprecedented level of success and laid the foundations for a golden age that seemed today like a distant memory. Several of my compatriots are more readily associated with this era than I, and it was during this period that I also played a key role in winning the World Cup. After I left France, injuries hampered and then effectively ended my career, but not before I had won the Champions League in a final that had a distinctly French accent. Nice one. Ooh. Nice clue, Robbie Thompson. Answers by email, league1podcast at gmail.com. Andreas, do you know that one? I think so. But the thing is, Robbie's clever because 90% of the clues are there to kind of deceive you. And it's like a filter. And then there's one, not obvious, thing, but there's obviously there's one clue that tends to give it away. Like the one with uh, Gignac, which I can say now from a couple of weeks back. I was like, who yeah. on earth is this? And then the clue about the post. So no, good questions. Good questions, Robbie. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, uh, do do get in touch. Um, we're going to have to wrap up pretty quickly because it has been uh, it has been a long one. Results we haven't mentioned. Big victory 
um, for Saint-Étienne, 2-1 uh, against Brest. Andreas, in two sentences, um, what can you say about that? Uh, it was a real scrap, very good atmosphere. Uh, the coach, uh, Duprez, was really getting his players up for that match. I think they'll do just enough to stay up Saint-Étienne. Maddie yeah, Camera, a good this, player. Maddie Camera, who'd been, yeah, yeah. who'd been, uh, been cast aside following yeah. disciplinary measures, came back and got both goals. Um, Nantes won, Angers won, Montpellier nil, Reims nil, Metz won, Clermont won. So some close games, some important points. Clermont grabbing a point against Metz. That keeps Metz bottom on 24 points. Bordeaux have got 26. Clermont third from bottom now, 29 points. Saint-Étienne above the bottom three now. They've got 30 points. Um, that is going to go to the wire, no question. We've got two rounds of matches coming up this week. The Bon Voyage is going to be for Wednesday night. Um, we've got, what is it, four matches at 7pm local time, including Monaco-Nice. And then six matches, is that right? No, five matches at 7pm and five, five matches at 9pm. Yeah. PSG go to Angers. They could be crown champions in Angers if they... Uh, get the job done, and if Marseille slip up, even if PSG draw and Marseille lose, Marseille are at home to Nantes, PSG will be crowned champions. Strasbourg against Rennes, that's uh, another huge game on Wednesday night. Andreas Evagora, you can start the, the uh, Bon Voyage section by telling us where you would like to go. Well, I'll go a bit left field. I'll go to, to Bordeaux Saint-Étienne. Um, it's uh, a night match, a lot of tension, a glass or two of, of the local red wine before we go to the match. Um, and it's the kind of match, you know, neither team wants to lose. So lots of pressure. I think that could be a, a, an interesting one with the, the pressure definitely on the home team. They've really got to get something out of that. Yeah, that's going to be a huge game. Good choice. Robbie Thompson, what do you think? Uh, it's a tough one. Very tough one. I'll go Lance Montpellier. There we go. Because uh, oh, a, a mid a mid table. I mean, you all <laughs> these incredible like important games. You've gone for a mid table. Well, one. I can't go. I can't go Marseille Nantes. I would have gone if it was in Nantes, not in Marseille. Um, just because I like Le, Le Bourgeois and think uh, it's got a, a nice atmosphere as well. The, the velodrome does. You can say for you me. can say you hate Marseille. You just be yeah, honest. Well. Um, Monaco Nice, very tempting as well. But look, I've got a soft spot for for Lens and Montpellier. I like them both. I think they're both good. I like mid-table football. I like mid-table Ligue 1. Um, Strasbourg Rennes would be the perfect match, except that they're both high flyers this season. So it's 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 moved outside of my taste bracket. So I'm going to go Lens Montpellier. I like it, and that coming from a Parisian. <laughs> Matt, you can't go to Champagne again. Every week you go to... <laughs> no, I'm go- I'm go- I know. no, Strasbourg for me. Well, that's not that far no, no, either, no, no, is no. it? Strasbourg, oh. the wine's good and the uh, saucisson <laughs> and the charcuterie and the, um, what is it, the, the, the choucroute, choucroute. Yeah. Um, and you pick, yeah, you pick ch- up Champagne Julien's... on the way back from Strasbourg to Paris, is that it? Exactly, <laughs> it's exactly, all sorted, all sorted. The Julien Stefanico or the Jerzinho Niamsico, whatever you want to call it, it's a massive game. Ren and, and Strasbourg, and the the atmosphere will be brilliant in the Menno. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Um, lots of action coming up in, in the next days. Lots to be decided. Thank you uh, so much to everybody for joining us 
uh, for this week's edition of Le Bourgeois. We'll be back next week. Thank you to Robbie Thompson and Andreas Evagora. Thank you, Matt. Thanks. And, um, yeah, I'll see you again. I'll see you again very soon. Have a great week. All the best. Bye-bye. 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 Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. Messi again. This time maybe Messi's done it.